She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Now, Stacy Washington. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here. Good to have you with us. Hour two of the program, we are going to be speaking with Dean Nelson of Human Coalition. And we're also going to be continuing our romp through the comments, incendiary and otherwise, of the Democrats as they talk about killing, shooting, punching, and maiming President Trump and others in the Trump administration. It's helpful to think about as we consider who we think should get our vote. Don't you think? I do. So welcome back to the program. Uh, I want to give you guys the call lines. It's wonderful to have you coming on and talking about the uh, turnout and and everything that happened with your vote today or if you're planning on voting. Uh, In fact, we'll go to the phones now and hear some more on the ground reports from people who are thinking of voting, actually have voted, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then we'll go to our audio clips. Uh, Let's talk to Caesar in Mississippi. Caesar, thank you for calling the show today. Hey, Stacey. Um, so I'm not voting yet. I'm, I'm going to be going this afternoon, but I just will hope that some um, government employees, like GS employees, are, are listening. But uh, just be aware that some areas are doing, like, this three-hour rule. Like, they learn people out three hours before poll ends. So for us in Mississippi, it's, like, at 4 o'clock um, to take advantage of that time to go vote. So... Um, once I get done out of here in like 20 minutes myself, I'll be going out to go vote too. Nice. That you're talking about federal government employees. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, GS wage grades, um, federal employees. Yeah. So on, um, down here they're doing uh, what the civilian force are letting them know about it, but just to take advantage of that. Hmm. Perfect. Thank you for that update. I appreciate your call, Caesar. Margie in Mississippi. Margie, thanks for calling the show today. Hi, Stacy. How are you? Doing good. You Thanks for really holding. Frazzled. <laughs> I am. You I just you're tired. I can tell you're tired. I, I, said, I am. Try to brighten her day. <laughs> oh my gosh, I am. I, I just it, it's just yeah, been a weird twenty four hours. You are. It's over. Yeah, you really had some really weird calls. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> we went and voted today, and I'm thankful to God for that. We got that over with and behind our belt. But can I say something about yesterday? You yeah. had a gentleman on, a, a black gentleman, and I believe he was a pastor, and he was talking about hard times and being black and being white, and, I mean, he was just as precious as he could be. And uh, it just reminded me back of my childhood. My grand I'll try to hurry up. Uh, my grandfather and his brothers owned a big restaurant and catering business in New Orleans. Of course, we had the name but not the money, you know. And so, uh, anyway, we'd go to pick my daddy up from work, and the porters were black and the cooks, you know, and all, and... We all knew them all by first name, and I was, like, raised around them. So I was never raised to be prejudiced. I was always raised to be respectful. And little things that I noticed when I was little, we'd go to uh, little places on Canal Street. We had to go to the doctor and go eat. And um, this little cafeteria, I can't even remember the name of the place, and they have it now. Anyway, they had the little tiny hamburgers. Uh, So anyway... They would have a water fountain for the white and a water fountain for the colored, and same with the restroom. And Stacy, I was young. I'm 71 right now, and mm-hmm. I was young. And I'm going to tell you something. I couldn't understand it. It broke my heart. 
It really did. I couldn't understand that God made people and, you know, people could be that way to each other. And as I grew, I got to know more and more, you know, about life and things. I've raised four children by myself for so many years. Finally found the man in my dreams, and he is so sick. His name is Dale. Y'all please remember him in your prayers. We got a not-too-good report yesterday, but God is God is on the throne, and so I'm not worried. But anyway... Um, it breaks my heart, and right after Hurricane Katrina, we were working down in Bay St. Louis um, at these Quonson huts, redo- copying all the records, mm-hmm. and um, someone said something about my granddaughter, and I said, what do you mean? And she said, you didn't know, no, this is her grandmother's name is, is well, something else, I better not say it. Anyway, it's no big deal, I just, you know, I don't know how people feel about some things. But anyway, her father was black, or half black, and my granddaughter has black in her. And I said, well, nobody told me that. And she said, well, why would it have mattered? I said, well, of course not. I said, that's my granddaughter, and it wouldn't have mattered anyway. You know, I mean, people just, they just like standing on edge sometimes. And if people could just learn to see each other for who we are in our heart and who we are as people, then, you know, this whole world would be a whole lot better. Of course, we all know that anyway. But I come across so many people, and I tell them, you know, the Lord looks down at us, and he sees one person, his children. These are his children. That's not his child there because they're green or yellow or purple. We're all his children. We're all the same on the inside. He chose us to make us different colors, and that should not matter to anybody, no one at all. We should love everybody. I've, I've been a, a Christian. I was raised in a denomination till I was, well, teenage years. And then I went off on my own, did my thing. And then at 36, I gave my whole life to Jesus Christ. I didn't even know what it was like to have a relationship with him. But I'll tell you one thing. The night I went to the altar, he took smoking, drugs, drinking, cussing, you name it. He took every single... When I got up from that altar, I was not the same person. Mm. It was gone like I never did it in my whole life, and it's been 30, 35 years. Mm. Well, that's wonderful testimony. Thank you so much, Margie, for calling the show. Uh, I, I got to say, I'm, you know, we all have things that we're working through, and we have to keep, keep it in context, which is that uh, racism is a sin, just like uh, gossiping and stealing and murdering and fornication and, you know, so it's, it's all sin and it's all about the heart condition. And, um, we, we can have mercy shown to us and we can show mercy to others. It's hard in the moment. Uh, but it's, it's not that one is worse than another. It's just all sin. And so, you know, the, the answer to sin is Jesus Christ. Uh, so thank you so much for the callers. Now I want to listen to Nicole Wallace, who she's had a couple of little run-ins with, um, you know, saying that we should wring this person's neck. We should punch this one or that one. She really has uh, kind of a little bit of a, a rough streak in her. For someone who calls herself a Republican and seems so refined on television, she likes she likes calling stuff out for violence. Here she is in number two talking about punching folks. So I, I told Jeb Bush after that debate that I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. Yeah, he also would have been up for assault charges. I mean, Nicole Wallace is someone who, first of all, I just wish she'd stop calling herself a Republican. It's so untrue. Just stop saying it, Nicole. That's first of all. And second of all, um, 
why would she advocate, like, instead of saying, I'm going to go punch him in the face and then quit my job, she's advocating for someone else to destroy their public life and possibly bring themselves up on criminal charges uh, because she thinks it's a good idea. Those are the kind of people, when you hear that, run. Don't walk, run. People who advocate for you to destroy your life so you can make a point on their behalf, not your friend. Not even your, that's not even a good enemy. Like, that's not a fair playing field. They're trying to trick you, tell you to do something bad to someone else so you can be a hero, but it would end up exposing you to legal jeopardy. Not your friend. Here she is again. Run up to Sarah Sanders and wring her neck, she says. It's number four. Kristen Walker, how do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Why can't she just say, if a staffer said that, we're going to get to the bottom of it, and she'll be fired? Again, how do you resist the urge to run up on her and wring her neck? Now, okay, you know, benefit of the doubt. Honestly, she could be saying, um, you know, it's a euphemism for the stern talking to of someone else. Oh, I could just wring her neck. You you hear people say it. I could just wring her neck. Um, it's, eh, it's, it's, it, it has to be taken in context, but I still don't think it's right. So she could, um, if she would have only said this once, it'd be fine. If she'd only said, uh, you know, you know, I take that back or you understand that I'm speaking metaphorically, that'd be fine too. But for her to just constantly make these comments, and this is Nicole Wallace, Republican strategist, worked for Republicans on campaigns and, in, 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 uh, you know, they're, they're elected and she's working for them in their offices and whatnot. Long career in politics. And this is her public persona. I'm going to ring. You should ring her by the neck. How do you resist the urge to ring her by the neck? You should have punched him in the face. You could have resigned. You wouldn't have been running. He would have left in disgrace. But, you know, at least Nicole Wallace would have been excited. That's what we've got going on here. So let's pivot over to what's happening at the southern border. We have to keep updated on this. And this is, look, it's not about when you say that the caravan of people is some kind of invading uh, invasionary force. It's comprised mostly of young army aged men. That's why that's why we're saying that. It's also that the men are using what money they have to pay the women to move up to the front of the caravan. So they're saying move up to the front of the caravan with your baby so that people can see you standing there so they can see you marching at the front because there are so many men. Why would they instead of just just work with me here? There are these uh, warlords and gangsters and and these really bad people down in Honduras and El Salvador, et cetera, et cetera. And these people make it impossible for El Salvadorans and, and Hondurans to really have a peaceful existence. These warlords rob the people, they rape, they kidnap, they murder, they force people to work for them in the poppy fields. They do, you, you name it, these drug lords are doing it. So drug lords with guns can manage a population through fear, not through sheer numbers, though. Remember, the rule of law is what keeps America peaceful because we don't have one police officer per person. We don't even have one police officer per 10 people. It is the rule of law and the fear of prosecution and really the hand of God that keeps any society operating within the social compact. When that is lacking and warlords and horrible people are in charge, it is up to the people to take their space back. 
Now, you might say, well, what are a bunch of women and children going to do? I just told you that more than 75% of this caravan of uh, now well over 10,000 people is comprised of young men. So instead of marching on America, why don't those men in, in their 10,000s turn on the warlords who are destroying their country? If they wiped out the warlords, because you, so that's the thing uh, about, you know, firearms. Sure, you can mow down a bunch of people with semi-automatic weapons, and I'm sure the warlords have those, but they can't mow down 10,000 people. If the, the number of young army-aged men outnumbers the warlords by 10 or 20 or even 30 to 1, which is the case, instead of them marching on America, why don't they march on the warlords in their country? Why don't they take their country back? It is, I just don't understand. I do not understand. And maybe it's because that's the way we've been trained here in America is when we don't like what's going on, we change it. And in other countries, they don't have that same kind of um, drive to be in charge of their own circumstances. But there are enough of them that are living here in America lawfully and illegally that it seems to me like some of them would have said, what we need to do is take our country back because all of y'all ain't getting in here. But that's what happens when you allow lawlessness to run amok. People start to think, well, we're a welcoming country and we don't have any choice. We have to let them in. Well, we don't have a choice. Who are you talking about? Yourself, because you got room for 10,000 people at your house, because we do have a choice. We have laws. We have a southern border. We do not have to let anybody in. We don't have to let the the, 1,700 in a day. They're apprehending between 17 and 1,900 people a day on our southern border, apprehending them or turning them around. So if we're turning them around, what makes you think that if you gather yourself up into a group of 7,000 or 10,000, that we're going to let you through? That's what the tanks are for. That's what the concertina wire is for. CNS News is reporting the U.S. military has sent miles and miles and miles of concertina wire to the southwest border. By the end of this week, they've deployed the over 5,200 soldiers and the 2,000 plus National Guard, and they've already covered 22 miles with concertina wire. And if the Army Corps of Engineers has anything to do with it, they'll have it all up and ready to go before the caravan is even within 100 miles. So, no, no one's getting in. All right. When we get back, we're going to have Dean Nelson. He's the chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. Stay there. Hello everyone, I'm Tim Wildman, President of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know our tours each year fill up quickly. And so I'm letting you know now, uh, don't tell anybody else now, that the uh, 2019 Spiritual Heritage Tours are planned for June and for September. So if you want to go this year, that is 2019, you need to let us know as soon as you can. Visit the website spiritualheritagetours.com spiritualheritagetours.com again those are two separate trips one to Williamsburg, Jamestown and Yorktown and the other one to Washington D.C. and George Washington's Mount Vernon. Stephen McDowell who's the president and founder of the Providence Foundation is our historian and he'll be on both trips 
telling us the behind the scenes and the stories of who, what, when, and why. Hello, I'm Pastor Joseph Parker, and this is Daily Time in the Word. It's our goal to help you better understand the great blessing of spending time in God's Word every single day. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 21, we're told, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It's very important that we as believers, we as people recognize there's great power in our words. Our words can do many important things on a daily basis. We speak thousands of words every day. It's important that we use our words wisely. You can make someone's day through your words, and you can help ruin someone's day through your words. It's important that we're using our words to the glory of God. One of the promises found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Another promise found in Psalm 1 is, whatever I do prospers. That is a, a promise based on Psalm 1. But I want to remind you that many promises in the Word of God are wise ways to put your words to work every single day. All of us speak many words every day, but remember the Word of God tells us that one day we'll give account for every idle word that we've spoken. Our words are valuable. And so just as the Word of God tells us again in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Use your tongue for life on a daily basis. When you speak the Word of God, you're speaking words of life and words of blessing. Also make it a goal to speak words of thanksgiving. The Word of God tells us, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Be a thankful person expressing your gratitude to God often. Let's be wise stewards of our words, using them wisely to bless the world and build God's kingdom. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there. Welcome back to the program. It is my pleasure to welcome Dean Nelson. He's the chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. He's also the National Outreach Director for Human Coalition, working out of the Washington, D.C. area. He brings more than 20 years of demonstrated success directing nonprofit organizations with an emphasis on urban strategies, grassroots organization, and national leadership training. Dean, thank you for joining the show today. Stacey, it's always a pleasure to be with you, and uh, I hope that you voted. You probably voted early, right? I voted before I so my morning was so jammed. I had a little bit of show prep and then I had Bible study and then I voted and then I got back here and ate some broccoli and cheddar soup and then uh, one one TV slash radio hit and then live on the radio here for this show. Oh my yes. goodness. Like you, you eat healthy, you're committed to the Lord, you work hard. What else? I mean, you know, oh, you're, I don't you're know about the healthy eight. eating, but the soup tasted <laughs> awesome. I'm telling you, Dean, I was I was so grateful there was one little bowlful left from dinner last night that my son actually put away in the refrigerator and I thought he was going to take it for his lunch today. So I got home from voting and I ran in the kitchen. I'm like, I only have a few minutes. And I saw that little bowl there and it was like there was a little halo over it. I was like, well, I got food. So I ate that. And then here I am. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm with you. There's so much going on today. And most people, like ev- everyone, you're married, you have kids, you get whatever you have going on, working, trying to get the whole day done. The voters of this country, if you're in an early voting state, then you had a few more days to plan it out. But in Missouri, we don't vote early here. We only have absentee voting and then 
the actual election day, you can vote all day today until like seven. Some polls will close at 830 in certain precincts. So I had to get it in and I hate waiting in line. So I went because uh, I was thinking after as soon as like 12 o'clock hits, people are going to start stacking up. So I got in there. Wow. Well, I know that this is an important time, and thank you so much for uh, thinking of me to have me on this program. Well, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this. So let's talk about the, the prospects here. And you and I both, you know, we're both believers. We don't, we don't have divination or anything like that. We don't know what's going to happen. But we can kind of look at what's happened historically and then kind of think to ourselves, okay, this is a possibility I really feel like um, we're seeing a little bit of a part two on this whole Nate Silver and 538 and uh, all of the different people who do predictions have said that there's no chance that the Republicans keep the House. I think there's still a chance. I think that there is a chance. Um, But yes, you're right. Historically, when we look at there's a uh, president of one party, typically that next, you know, uh, election cycle that the others will will take uh, control of the house. We've we've seen that in the past, um, but I know that you know where I I am in Maryland that most people consider to be a blue state. It looks like that the Republican governor uh, is going to from all of the polls is going to dominate the Democrats. So there's no blue wave here, and I'm not so sure that every the predictions of that is uh, is going to take place. We don't know. I mean, if I were a betting person, you know, I would probably go with the odds that we would certainly lose seats uh, in the House and, and likely might lose it. But that's not what we really see uh, on the ground. But, um, you know, time time will tell. Well, I've seen some reporting this morning, just people kind of sharing, hey, have you seen this? Hey, have you seen that? Some of the um, the things that have been Coming in, uh, the numbers from the absentee voting and the early voting show that there is the surge is not on the left. The surge, the numbers favor the Republicans who traditionally are not early voters or absentee voters. Republicans tend to turn out on Election Day in droves, but they don't tend to favor early voting and, and that stuff. But in the tallies so far, the Republicans are leading in early voting in states that have it. I did see that, uh, which was uh, a surprise for me. But I think that the Republican Party and conservatives are catching up uh, in uh, in this game uh, because we we traditionally are the ones that come out on on election day. But uh, I think that politically, uh, some of our candidates and some of the uh, party leaders in states have gotten wise. I, I know for me, uh, my whole reason for voting early is so that I can work uh, on election day, and so. Um, I, I think that there are more people that are kind of looking at that as a strategy. And, um, and that, that, those are encouraging signs. They are very encouraging signs. They are. So, you know, Dean, a lot of times, and if you're just tuning into the show, welcome. We're speaking to Dean Nelson, who's the chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation and also the National Outreach Director for Human Coalition, frequent guest of the program, friend of the show. Uh, we, we are talking about the midterm kind of prognostications. We don't know anything, but we're just going by what we've seen historically and uh, what the, the early vote totals point to. I think there's also a bit of a Trump rally phenomenon that he's banking on. It's it's kind of hard work for him to fly all over the country, 11 stops in eight days. But he did it. He pulled it off. And he's spending the entire day today at home making phone calls to donors and also to elected officials and, and um, people who are running. He's going to watch with family and friends the returns tonight at the residence. Uh, do you think the president's kind of nonstop 
gallivanting around an Air Force One, rallying the base is going to have a huge impact this time? I cannot see it having a, uh, a negative impact. I mean, they know the states that they want to go, and these are states that um, our organization has had people on the ground for the last month uh, doing door-to-door work. And so I believe that it's it, that it's going to encourage, as long as you know we get people not just to come to a rally, but also to go uh, to go to the polls, I think it's going to have a very positive effect. I mean, we've seen, you know, after the Kavanaugh phenomena, that there was a shift of momentum, uh, particularly to to conservatives and independents. And I believe that, you know, we saw that wane a little bit, but I think the president going out, making the pitch, uh, because he has largely done a great job with keeping his promises and encouraging, uh, you know, the electorate to continue that uh, their support for his agenda, because he's going to need both House and Senate to continue to do that. And so my hope is, is that they'll be able to. I'm mean, pretty confident about the Senate uh, that they will hold there and probably pick up a few seats. But um, my, from my vantage point, particularly uh, faith and values type voters, those are the people that we've targeted. Uh, we've knocked on over 300,000 doors uh, in states like Missouri, uh, Indiana, uh, Tennessee, North Carolina and Virginia and uh, some congressional races. And so uh, our hope is is that people who believe in the sanctity of human life, people who believe in the value of traditional marriage and uh, economic opportunity, that those are the folks that are going to, uh, to come out and to support those type of values. Okay, Dean, you mentioned door knocking. So our son actually signed up. Um, he was... He was actually asked to do it by his teacher. He had to work six hours on a campaign for a class he's taking in high school. It was a requirement that he do those six hours of volunteering on any campaign he chose, Democrat or Republican, before the election happened. So before today. So he did the six hours. And after the completion of those six hours, the campaign said, hey, we're paying for people to knock doors and make phone calls. If you're interested, this is what we're paying. You have to come in for an interview. Obviously, you know, we like you, but you still have to interview. And if you sign up, you can do it between now and the election. And that was about five weeks ago. He signed up wow. to did the interview and he's been knocking doors every weekend except the weekend he took the ACT. And I mean, that boy has been out. He drives himself to the location. He has a iPad that they've issued him, a shirt. He has to have on a certain type of clothing, certain type of shoes. And he knocked doors. And this past weekend, he showed up at the election office ready to continue knocking. And they said, hey, thanks for being here. Your last check's on the way. You guys got the job done. We're done with our entire list. Those teenagers, they're all high schoolers, knocked the entire district in five weeks. Do you think that's going to have an impact? Well, that's really encouraging. And to me, that is really what it is about. I mean, we saw in the headlines a little over a week ago, you know, African-American young people that were gathered there Mm -hmm. in D.C. for, you know, a rally with Candace Owens. And I thought that 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 was was really great. and It was exciting. But Mm -hmm. to me, where it missed the mark just a little bit, just like your son, uh, we've had numbers of teenagers, over 150 people that we've had on the ground, many of them teenagers who have done exactly what your son has done, and that is getting down into the nitty-gritty, going door-to-door, doing the hard work that is that is needed. No problem with doing a conference in D.C., that's fine, but forward-thinking would have us to do something like that 
uh, at a different time or maybe do that at a time period or in a location where you're able to utilize that youthful energy and direct it into, you know, something that is purposeful, particularly knocking on doors for good candidates. And so I'm mm-hmm. pleased to hear what, uh, what your son has done and um, also to let your listeners know that we've done the same thing, particularly with young African-American um, values voters who believe in, you know, what we're, what we're trying to do. And uh, we're really proud of them. So I echo your comments about the meeting in D.C. with uh, Turning Point. So I thought there were some major pluses there. First of all, it was just beautiful to see that many people with the permanent tan hanging out at the White House, supporting the president, and their youthfulness was just, I, I thought it was outstanding. And I love the fact that this was something that was thought up completely on the kind of grassroots side. But then on the other side, um, it would have been so fantastic. And I don't know what their nonprofit status is or what they're allowed to do, but it would have been so fantastic to have something like that where they went out and maybe knocked doors in D.C. or maybe in Virginia or anything to kind of mobilize those those willing young people into something actionable that could be repeated and, you know, to kind of co-opt them in and get them used to the idea of getting out the vote. And not all of the people who came to the, the, the event might have been interested in that, but it would have been nice to have seen that component. Also, to have seen them maybe ask the president uh, something specific, something that they would have liked to have seen him do on a policy issue, which for me, it's, right. I love seeing people gather together, but it's the policies that we support and we promote that actually bring about long lasting change. So maybe this was the first foray and they'll, they'll be back there. And, uh, you know, my, my schedule wasn't permitting for me to register for that event. Um, but maybe the next time I'll be able to participate and interview some of the people there, they, they were a fascinating group of people. And I'm really hopeful that it will be something lasting that we'll see them, you know, grow into something we can really say, Hey, look at this. It's, it's, it's getting something done. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And let me be the first to say that I remember when I was a college student, um, and I've shared this before, you know, I was a student at Howard University, and I was protesting our university for uh, having a board member who was the chairman of the Republican Party at the time, Lee Atwater. So, you know, when I was a young person, I was not where I am today. So I'm not at all uh, being overly critical of what took place there in D.C. because they're doing much more than, than I was at that particular time period. But as, as young people, as movements grow, it's important to have good direction to be able to engage them in valuable participation that really helps move our values forward. And so I, I agree with you very wholeheartedly and hope that we can see uh, that movement continue and grow into something that is uh, much needed within the African-American community. Hey, I'm with you, Dean. Back when I was in my 20s and college and all that stuff, I was definitely a Democrat. And now, you know, of course, I've seen the light. It's it's really you start making some money, paying some real taxes. You have have a couple kids and you know, get married. You start to really rethink those, you know, pie in the sky uh, utopian ideals. And that's how it was for me and my husband. I think they're ahead of the curve. I give them a lot of kudos for being that young and already realizing that limited government is best. Um, and that's why I'm so hopeful for what they can do in the future. I think, uh, you know, Candace Owens, Charlie Kirk, the the entire group over there, especially the 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 kind of new people who were wearing the T-shirts and attending the events and listening to the president speak, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, if we can just, you know, it, it's it's kind of like after the fun, after the events. Now what? And I'm looking forward exactly. to seeing what they do. Yeah, that's, that's going to be pretty exciting. 
So we'll continue to pray about the election results tonight and look forward to more um, just just hopefully some really good news after the returns start coming in tonight. Um, what are you, what will you be doing this evening? Will you be watching from home or you're going to meet up? What's the plan? So, number one, um, I have a few other uh, interviews that I'll be doing. Uh, after that, I'm actually headed over to uh, Annapolis, Maryland, to join the, uh, the Larry Hogan folks, uh, where they'll be having a party. But then I'll be I'll be looking at returns and things like that from uh, the states that uh, we have people that have done uh, a lot of work in. And, um, you know, so I'll be uh, enjoying, uh, you know, some, some victories, but I'll be looking very closely at some very... Um, Important races. I mean, there's a great number of African American candidates that are uh, running that we'll be uh, keeping our eye on. Uh, particularly, you know, John James up in yes. Michigan, and then there's a host of of um, you know congressional seats. We've got Mia Love, who's got a mm-hmm. tough race uh, up in Utah. Will Hurd down in uh, in Texas, and then a, a good number of grassroots uh, activists that have become uh, you know politicians or at least candidates that are running. In states, so we've actually pushed out um, a list of endorsements at the Frederick Douglass Foundation uh, of candidates, not just African American candidates, but good candidates that support uh, the values of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And so we're really proud to endorse a whole slate of uh, of candidates, both for federal and statewide elections. Fantastic. Well, we are so glad to have you with us today. Thank you for your time. And blessings on all of the other interviews and things that you have going on tonight. I will be looking um, and seeing how your candidates do, especially John James, Will Hurd. These are names that I'm hoping uh, to hear a lot more of from Washington, D.C., hoping they get elected tonight. Um, I want to give everybody the websites, humancoalition.org. Dean Nelson, thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks so much, Stacy. And by the way, I'll be in St. Louis this weekend too. So there's a lot going on even after the election. So look oh, forward well, to uh, please, please email me with you when I'm there. Yes, yes. I'll I hope that. that we can go out to dinner, you and me and my husband, and and maybe your group. Let's 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 see if we can make that happen. That'd be great. Thanks so very much. Have a great evening. All right. Thank you, Dean. Uh, that's this segment of the program. We'll be back with more after these messages. You stay right there. it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Almost all of us in the United States have been blessed financially, at least compared to the rest of the world. When my family and I went to South Africa, we saw that distinction firsthand. Corrugated cardboard homes, old discarded tires for walls, and streams of dirty water running through the shanty towns. The question then becomes, What will we do with those blessings God has given us? We should use our money to share with those in need. God isn't keeping track of the amount of money you give. He's more concerned about your heart and your willingness to give in the first place. Do you need to rethink your giving plan? Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us 
in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Hello, AFR listeners. My name is Crystal. In the Operation Christmas Shaw shoebox I received while growing up in Nicaragua, I found a slinky, a toy that I had never seen before, as well as cool supplies and stickers. I felt cherished to be given such a beautiful gift. It reminded me of God's faithfulness. You can make a difference in the life of a child just like me by packing a shoebox through Operation Christmas Child. Visit AFR.net and click on the Operation Christmas Child banner today. We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith, Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The internet, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family, And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially, and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness. And may He give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Yes, I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. <laughs> oh, well, whose scratchy, drunken sounded voice is that? <laughs> it's Madonna. So, uh, you know, this is going to kind of tell y'all what what years I was growing up in but remember when Madonna used to just sing slightly risque music and wear a lot of lace gloves and you know she had punk rock hair and remember that Madonna oh how times have flown by and how she's changed that was her uh, the day after Donald Trump was inaugurated president of the United States and she was just kind of pontificating about how in her free time in her mansion In London, she dreams of blowing up the White House. Let me go for this one more time. (laughs) I I, I need the context to be really clear here because I think maybe she doesn't understand how this looks to the rest of us. Um, You know, she lives in a mansion in one of the most expensive cosmopolitan cities on the face of this planet. London, remember in London, you don't even own, you can own a home there, but you can't own the ground that the home is on. The ground itself is on a perpetual 99-year lease. It's renewed every 99 years. You lease the land from the permanent owner, who's a member of the peerage, because the land is in London. And the building that sits on top of the land is what you can own, Provided that person continues to renew your 99-year lease, which is kind of understood, but you can't own the land. So Madonna, who is an American citizen, has chosen to reside in London and to adopt a kind of London-esque accent 
for the past, I'd say, almost 30 years. She's raised all of her children there, and she has a residency there. She's She is a resident of London, British, you know, it's, yeah, that's where she lives. Now, of course, she has homes in the United States, but even if she was in the United States, it's not like she's in a two-bedroom condo or co-op or walk-up. She's not in a small town home. She's not in a 1,500-square-foot, three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath on a tenth of an acre lot in some, you know, semi-suburban area in, in you know, regularville, USA. This woman owns homes all over the globe, and all of the homes are mansions because she is a very, very, very wealthy woman. I don't begrudge her any of it. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know, she earned it. She she was in the music industry. She was earning money back before, um, you know, before albums became a thing of the past where people bought entire albums. And, and so suffice it to say, she's not coming at this rant that she gave from you know, regular Joe America, where she's worried about how she's going to make ends meet. She's sitting up in a mansion somewhere, envisioning blowing up the White House, which is coincidentally owned by you and me. We own that building. She may have even been on a 99-year lease where she pays some peer of the realm to have a building on top of that land that she then owns and is also paying a mortgage on or paid cash. Who knows? And she's sitting in this multi-room, multi-level mansion in London or single family home on a thousand acres here in the United States, dreaming of blowing up the White House because she doesn't like the way us regulars voted. You know, the serfs rose up and elected someone she didn't like. Mind you, she never had a problem with Donald Trump before that. She thought Donald Trump was cool before that. It was only when he became a Republican and started running on immigration and things like that that she suddenly didn't like him. I mean, her whole statement stinks, obviously. Sounds like terrorism. But it also stinks because of where she was when she was dreaming up this mishmash of strange thoughts. Stuff she should have kept to herself, coincidentally. So then, not to be outdone, Johnny Depp. Um, Johnny Depp. Another individual in Hollywood who used an accent, adopted an accent in order to supplement a role that he played. And then when he was done playing the role on the screen, continued to use the accent as his own. Weird phenomenon. Johnny Depp suggests that he would actually kill the president. It's number five. It's just a question. I'm not insinuating anything. By the way, this is going to be in the press. It'll be horrible. But I'd like, I like that you're all a part of it. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? <laughs> now, the crowd was a little shocked, a little bit uh, amused, a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> they literally, you could tell there was a bunch of people there who maybe they'd had some wine and they're like, that's funny. And other people were like, wait, did he say assassinate? Um, I'm not sure that's funny. But most people kind of chuckled a little bit because I guess they were waiting on him to say something more. Like, where's he going with this? Um, he said, I know this is going to make the news and he would hope so. Cause he's his, he's one who he's destroying his own career. Uh, the latest franchise of movies, it, they, I think they're coming back pirates of the Caribbean without him. Some, I, I saw some announcement about that and I really couldn't even care enough to click through. I think it was a title on drudge and I didn't even click through to read the story uh, because Johnny Depp makes these strange statements. And obviously This also goes back to this idea that we take Hollywood types like Madonna and Johnny Depp 
and others like Alec Baldwin, we expect them to do political commentary, except we don't. I'm not one of those people. I don't actually think it's cool that Oprah Winfrey is campaigning for Stacey Abrams. I don't actually think it's cool that Sean P. Diddy Combs, someone who's well known for rapping and making music videos where dubs fly out of places and he wears a white suit. That guy is not someone that I would go to and say, you know, I need some hard hitting political analysis. I mean, Sean P. Diddy Combs, what do the numbers say? Who's going to win the race in, uh, you know, Missouri tonight? Who's going to win in Georgia tonight? That's not the guy for that. So when they make these statements, it's odd. It's ridiculous. But remember, they're Hollywood types. They're music industry types. There are plenty of wonderful, upstanding people in Hollywood and the music industry. But that's not the norm for those industries. And they are not supposed to be the ones telling us what to think about politics. Not only are they not meant to do it, they're not equipped to do it. And we should be much more serious. Someone who their entire existence is, is based upon acting in roles. And it's, believe me, I, we're moviegoers. So I don't have a problem with actors. I don't have a problem with the profession. But look at what's come out of Hollywood of late. Look at the admissions about the casting couch and all of that. Look at the things that have been said about the same uh, it was a, like an environment in the music industry. If you think it through, you know that these are not the morally upright, upstanding individuals on the whole that you would want informing you about your politics. They just aren't. Even with that being said, what are they thinking talking about blowing up the White House and assassinating the president? And so this was at the very beginning. Remember, uh, the president had been inaugurated and Madonna made that statement. And because she is so wild and crazy on everything else, I think the Secret Service was like, hey, what do you expect? If it's Madonna. And then when Johnny Depp made the statement, um, they, of course, I, I, I thought I saw tell on Facebook or Twitter that the Secret Service had responded that, of course, they have to make an inquiry, which I suppose involves you know, two FBI agents that are somewhere near his home going and paying him a visit and asking him, were you serious about that or were you just being funny? And then he says, of course, I was being funny and you have to get out. And then they say, OK, and that's it. Um, but it's kind of it's unfortunate that this is where we are, that this is the expectation, but that they still continue to get airtime. And remember, I'm, I'm hearkening you back because I love walking down memory lane to compare to now because everyone's saying, well, the rhetoric from Donald Trump is the reason why this one or that one did X. But was it rhetoric that caused the man to shoot up the baseball field, the Bernie bro? Was it rhetoric that made him do that? Or was it his own deranged, not, you know, unclear thinking processes that made him do that? Who's responsible, the trigger puller or someone who said something we don't like? I don't like what Madonna said. But if someone attempted to set the White House on fire or blow it up, it wouldn't be her fault. I don't agree with what she said. I think she should stop talking nonsense, but she's not responsible for the actions of others. And it's the same thing with Johnny Depp and Nicole Wallace and these others. The person making these statements, as horrible as they are, is not responsible for the actions of another individual who is under their own free will determined to harm other individuals. It's just not. And I've been saying that on both sides the entire time. And I've also been castigating the rhetoric. So it's not right. Um, so back to our southern border. I mentioned this U.S. militia story. 
And the reason I keep coming back to this is because this is, this is if you haven't voted yet, um, where are you on your schedule for the day? Are you on the way to vote or you're listening to me just because the show's about to go off and then you're going to go vote because you're going to go vote today, right? You are voting today. I got it done. Our 18-year-old already voted over the weekend absentee. My husband already voted this morning. He was the first one to vote today. <laughs> he got out of the door, got his voting done and texted me, went in. I was number this, uh, took me this many minutes, yada, yada, yada. Have a good day. I was like, look at this man. God love him. It's so awesome. So this is an issue that should be on your the front of your mind, not because we're afraid of Mexicans, not because we're afraid of people from south of the border, but because our national sovereignty is, is at stake here. And it's important for us to remember it's not about ginning up the base or, or, or inflaming people or making them afraid. It's about reporting on the news. And if they won't do it, I will. I mean, I'm going to do it whether they do it or not, but, you know, specifically because they're not doing it. So you've got this story here and. They're reporting on a bunch of different people um, saying that if outside militia groups come, some of these people in, in uh, Texas are saying, well, they can't come on my property. Um, but I don't know what they're planning on doing about the Central American migrants who are going to come on their property. If I were someone who owned property on the border, I would rather militiamen were there than illegal immigrants. But, you know, to each their own. So the quote from... Uh, a bills bondsman in the Dallas suburbs who's president of the Texas Minutemen is we'll observe and report and offer aid in any way that we can. We've proved ourselves before and we'll prove ourselves again. He says they've been roused by the president's call to restore order and defend the country against what the president has called an invasion. And they're, they're not going to take this line down militiamen from across the country, the Texas Minutemen um, and others are gathering together and they're planning on showing up at the southern border. Another 200 militia members have already um, pl- uh, announced plans to move into that area and they're planning on meeting with community members as well. So anyone who has uh, land next to the river, the Rio Grande, and other areas that are the busiest portions of our border for illegal crossings are going to have an opportunity to meet with Manuel Padilla Jr., the top border patrol official in the agency's Rio Grande Valley sector. So they're going to be meeting with these property owners and ranchers, et cetera, to try to give them an update and let them know what to expect as the U.S. military moves into their area and to kind of take their temperature on uh, their receptiveness towards the militiamen who will also be coming into the area. And so uh, my, my encouragement is... We must continue to pray for this situation because one of the things that could happen that I've been really concerned about is that some of the, you know, grown men in the caravan could become frustrated with their inability to cross the border and become violent and that the U.S. military would at first not respond and, and you know, basically take beatings, take pummelings, et cetera, et cetera. And then that someone would, as the president has already said, you know, they've used rocks before, use a rock to bash someone's head in, and then things would turn ugly. Because rocks are deadly instruments, and the response to someone hurling a rock at your head should be deadly force. I know the rules of engagement call for such, but that doesn't mean they haven't set up different rules of engagement for this encounter because the people who are coming are not going to be armed, as far as we know, with real weapons. They would have to use rocks or sticks or things like that. My concern is that it's just going to be one of those uh, media 
feeding frenzies where they're going to be down there getting video and taking images and sending out pictures and turning public opinion away from our U.S. armed forces, which obviously I'm on their side. There's no situation in which I would find myself siding with media or soft-hearted, pansy-fied, know-nothings in the interior of the country of people on the coast who think everyone should get to live here. All six billion people that don't want to live somewhere else should live here in America, just make room. I'll never side with those people over the U.S. military. Our troops, their lives should be protected. They should be permitted to defend themselves. And if they're being sent down there to do a job, they should have clear direction on what they're there to do, how to get it done, and what the parameters of getting that done entail. That is what should be happening right now. And I I certainly hope that's what's going to happen. But hope isn't enough. We have to be committed in the same way that you committed. And I just, I thank God for this audience and for the fact that the people in this audience are so committed to prayer, that are the, the people in this audience aren't proud or puffed up, that you're willing to get down on your knees on behalf of this country. I praise God for this audience and for that prayer warrior attitude, the attitude of the warrior, which is we pray first before we pick up our arms for battle, we pray. And so, and, and that is the battle it's praying. And so I, I renew calls for, for the listening audience here at American family radio and urban family talk to continue to pray for the situation at the Southern border and for the safety of our armed forces, the men and women who are going to be down there executing their duties. The numbers have swollen up again. We're now looking at 8,000 troops to supplement the 2,092 national guardsmen. Remember we have almost 2,000 national guardsmen on reserve that can be called up as well as a part of the original deployment from six months ago. So let's keep them in our prayers. Enjoy tonight. Remember, There's nothing that's going to happen in the next 24 hours that God doesn't already know about and hasn't already planned for. He's not surprised. We may be, but he's never surprised. God bless you. Citizens, get out there and vote if you haven't already. Have a fantastic night from the heartland. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association. Urban Family Talk. Urban Family Talk.